Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-hosts, Rodrigo and Jaren. What is up, guys? Hey, so hey. Today, we are going to be getting into the Mavericks 111-106 to victory over the New Orleans Pelicans at home. The Pelicans now on a 10-game losing streak. They came into the AAC today with some inclement weather sort of delaying their um, trip over here they they had some travel issues and to start out the game they looked pretty flat the Mavericks were giving them the business uh, led by Luka Doncic the Mavericks after the first half were up 70 to 43 it seemed as if the Mavericks were going to run away with the game but then in the third quarter of course Luka Doncic trying to go up against Brandon Ingram in the paint um, sort of a scary fall and ends up having a right heel contusion is out for the rest of the game. And then we just see this sort of stark contrast from there on out from the first half to the second half. And the Lucas Mavericks from basically the third quarter onwards uh, almost blew a, I think at one point was almost a 30-point lead. And Spencer Dinwiddie and Tim Hardaway Jr. finished this game with an abysmal 7-for-37 combined shooting line between the two of them on their field goals. And it was... Just almost a complete and utter collapse from the Mavericks side of things. They were lucky to be able to pull out of this one. They were spearheaded by Josh Green, who went seven for 10 in 30 minutes tonight, 15 points off the bench. His defensive activity and his ability to attack off closeouts, and even in some scenarios late in the game, uh, just taking a guy one on one and just using his athleticism to get to the basket was really key to be able to. pull the Mavericks over the finish line, but nonetheless, it was still a pretty rough go at it for the Mavericks. And this is one of the more inexcusable wins of the season. We talk a lot about inexcusable losses for the Mavericks, uh, but we see time and time again that this team tends to have these games that end up being a win in the box score, but probably not necessarily a win overall. There's a lot of different angles that we can come at this. You know, there were some positives, that being mostly Josh Green and Dorian Finney-Smith and Luka before he subsequently went down with that injury. But in terms of some of the Mavericks role players tonight, uh, they just had a really rough time, uh, particularly Dinwiddie and Hardaway. Being able to create anything for themselves on offense, they were settling, taking a lot of bad shots. And then on the other hand, they were basically saloon doors on defense. Before we go ahead and go to the ad break, just wanted to get your guys' quick thoughts on this game. Jaron, we'll start with you. What did you think of the Mavericks just complete and utter collapse after Doncic went out with that heel contusion in the third quarter? Yeah, we know we alluded to this. I want to say it was like the first loss versus Houston way early in the season. Uh, I mean, this team is quite literally like just so different whenever Luke is on the floor and then whenever he's off the floor, aka injury or whatever it is, uh, this team seemingly falls apart, and that was another case of it uh, where we fortunately got to see Luca play at least three and a half quarters, um, or uh, two and a half quarters, I should say. And then, you know, the Mavericks 
fell apart as he, uh, I guess, limped off into the locker room. Um, overall, I just think, you know, this is one where you squeak out and you put it behind you and you don't think about it. Uh, I think that's how this Mavericks team is going to look at it. I don't really think there's much to learn other than Josh Green is really him. Uh, but other than that, I, I just, I mean, this was another loss where depth hurts you. And this is a Pelicans team that's on a 10-game losing streak game and still finding a way to barely squeak it out. But um, not a great win. I'll say that. What about you, Rio? Yeah, I'm there with you guys. I mean, it, it it's not a good win either. Um, I, really, when we talked, Will mentioned it a bit ago with those inexcusable wins. That Detroit game was also one of those in, inexcusable wins where, come on now. I mean, it's it takes a look a Luca fifty point game for you to win. And I know I wasn't on the podcast for that for that one, um, but. It takes a Luca 50 piece just to be able to squeak out a win against the 13 win Detroit Pistons. That's how you know that, that this team is solely, solely dependent on him. And my, I guess, question at this point for somebody like Mark Cuban would probably, or, or Nico even, is when do you throw the kitchen sink to go get Luca some help? And, and I know you know, Cuban doesn't want to talk about that because he's made it perfectly, perfectly clear that he does not want to talk about getting Luca help because he's thrown out the fire. Mark Cuban guy on multiple occasions. And, and it's a fair criticism. I, I understand like, like it, it, he, he may be doing it for, for jokes or for kicks and grins, but on that same note, it's a perfectly, perfectly legitimate uh, uh, response to the owner not having accountability and owning up to the mistakes that he made, i.e. saying that that Tim Hardaway Jr., you know, let, letting the coaching staff say that Tim Hardaway Jr. is a free agency pickup when in reality he's just an injury pickup. Like, we can talk about the stats all we want. We can talk about this, that, and the fifth all we want. But Spencer Dinwiddie had 21 points, and, and the Mavericks needed every single one of those 21 points. Same thing with Josh Green. I mean, again, the shooting wasn't great from – Spencer specifically, but the Mavs needed every one of those 21 points. The Mavs needed every one of those 15 points or 17 points or whatever, uh, however, however many points uh, Josh Green put up tonight. The Mavs needed every single one of those two gentlemen's points. And, and the fact that they got him, I guess, is is the most positive thing that you can take out of it. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And we'll definitely be getting into some of that more big picture, like direction type things on our trade deadline primer that will be coming out tomorrow night on Friday night. We're going to be forecasting the trade deadline for the Mavericks, you know, diagnosing some mock trades and going through what we think this team needs and what we think they're actually going to do. I think that there, you know, we can do all these post-game podcasts that we want, but there's a sort of cumulative buildup in terms of redundancy of what we're talking about here. It's the same guys either underperforming or surprising us game after game. It's like, it just seems like almost a, if we're going to, uh, sim, you know, make this simplistic to, to an extent, like you can just be like, Oh, it's like positives, Luca, Josh green and uh, negatives, Tim Hardaway jr. Um, and maybe one other guy, you know, whether it's Spencer or Dorian, whoever has a, like a bad defensive game, something like that. Or even C would. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it just seems like that there's a sort of continuum there of uh, continuity that is just the exact same narrative that we pull out of every game. It's like they occasionally catch a spark and have those really good three point shooting games. And, you know, all of a sudden it part of the portions of the fan base view it as a cure all and that this team is all of a sudden able to compete against the best teams in the league. 
Then they have games where they can barely squeak out wins over a 13 win Pistons team or a New Orleans team who's heavily injury depleted and on a 10 game losing streak. So there's a lot to get into and we will be getting it all into it. But before we do that, here is an ad from our sponsor anchor. All right, guys. So getting into it today, before we get into this game versus the Pelicans here, we got some great news before the game reported by ESPN's Tim McMahon that Mavericks big men, Maxi Kleber and Christian Wood were both fully cleared for practice today um, going forward. I don't know exactly uh, what stage they are in their rehab, whether that's, you know, being able to practice full court five on five or, you know, just doing maybe some specific drills. I don't know exactly what the ramifications entail or anything like that, but, you know, Christian Wood obviously had that left thumb fracture after dunking too hard. Uh, versus the Lakers, I believe, and then Maxi, um, or maybe it was the Trailblazers, I forget, it was one of those games, and then Maxi, of course, has been out since December 12th, um, last game he played in versus the Thunder, because he subsequently tore his hamstring right after that in practice, and it's, it's quite remarkable that he's already back to this stage, um, to where he is looking like he, in all likelihood, will be back before the All-Star break, um, he was projected to be out six to eight weeks and he's settling in right around that time period of when he was projected to be out pretty remarkable recovery really speaks to his persistence and how diligent he was in the rehab process. You know, there's been anecdotes from Mavs assistant coaches and everything's that he's been very vigilant in some of these film sessions, especially as the Mavericks have had these defensive woes in terms of calling guys out and really trying to be a, you know, defensive anchor and a leader, even though he's not on the floor. So uh, I just want, was curious to get your guys' thoughts on that. Um, how excited you are? Do you, do you think what sort of dynamics do you think this is going to change uh, as these guys are looking to return here in the immediate future? Uh, Rico, you take this one real quick, and then I'll bounce off that. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, I guess I'll start with Seawood. I've always been a big Seawood guy. I love that man. I mean, he he's definitely not. I I initially kind of thought he was more like. Uh, he was he would be our version of um oh god um uh, Dennis Rodman um in just the sense of like oh you know he he I didn't know too much about him and and then that I, it kind of goes into that Shaq meme where he's like oh I'm not I wasn't too familiar with your game well, I really wasn't familiar with Christian Wood's game uh prior to him being a Maverick I mean I knew he he was really really good um um as far as certain aspects of the off on the offensive side of the ball but um I was kind of more thinking he'd be like more on the defensive rebounding side um of the ball um so I I definitely definitely am happy to hear that that news um in in spite of all the really really bad news that's going on around as far as the Mavs turning into a general hospital like they're, they're turning into general Mavs like they, they, <laughs> if, if we're gonna call this a soap opera it's it's general Mavs like they're they're, they're their uh Luca's anatomy like I'm serious they're they're going in they're turning into a hospital basically this team is turning into a hospital um and then as far as Maxi Kleber uh, is concerned I mean having him on the defensive side of the ball is is going to be amazing and and he also provides certain offensive spunk I guess for for the lack of for lack of better words um where you know if the team is down um he'll he'll create he'll find a way to you know, make a big shot. And that's, that's important for, for these Mavs, especially again, if Luca is going to be out for an X amount of time, if you by chance, let's say you have 
Spencer Dinwiddie, Josh Green, and Christian Wood back all at the same time and playing all on on the same rhythm and on, on the same flow, then you know, um, it's good. That would be really, really big. And and, and again, just having <clears throat> having a guy like maybe even DFS um, uh, provide some of that defensive uh, output um, is going to be it's going to be huge for the Mavs. Um, again, hopefully Luca is not out for too horribly long, but if he is, those three guys for sure, for sure, and those well, those two guys uh, again, more talking about Kleba and. And, um, and and Christian Wood will be big to have back. Yeah, I think, you know, having Maxi, I mean, first off, like, it's crazy that he's going far or this this far. Uh, it seems like the injury was what, like almost three months ago now. Uh, and for him to have a torn hamstring and then basically be back almost in three months, that's crazy. No, uh, it's nonetheless, it's less than two. He, he was, it's that Euro strength, though. It's that Euro. Oh yeah, strength it'll be yeah, it'll be less than two. Uh, <laughs> it'll be less know. than two. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll for sure be less than two. I don't know why I was thinking three. Um, but yeah, having him back, you know, on the defensive side of things, and even just having depth at the center position, we've seen multiple times, uh, even in this game, where you know Dwight gets an early foul trouble, and the Mavs just kind of have to tread water from there. Uh, just having one of those two guys back, and Christian Wood and Maxi would be huge. Uh, I think in terms of Christian they're Wood, DFS, his, they're having to run DFS at the center position. Yeah. Come on now. No, I know the, the depth is, I mean, it's really having to be pulled thin uh, as of recently, but I think, you know, like I said, having one of those two guys back is going to be huge. Uh, Christian Wood has been out a little longer than I figured he would be, but nonetheless, you know, they're, they seem like they're both on the same timeline. And if we could get them back before all-star break or even right after all-star break, uh, that'd be amazingly huge. Just, just the fact that the Mavericks are kind of treading water right now. Uh, they're on their first game or first two game winning streak since like January 2nd or something like that. Um, so if they can find a rhythm before all-star break and then get these guys back, that'd be massive uh, in terms of heading into the playoffs. Yeah. Well, no, and, and another, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Will real quick, but I know that, I know that uh, uh, what's his name. Um, I, was, I, I always know him as the Latvian laser freaking uh, uh, Davis Bertans, Davis Bertans yeah. uh, just went out as well. So now the Mavs are maybe even lacking depth, depth at the forward position. So like getting again, somebody like you were mentioning, like, like Kleba back who normally plays a power forward center role is, is huge for sure. No. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, they're definitely hard struck with a lot of different weird minor injuries at the moment, but you know, hopefully they're able to persist through this tr- tough stretch as they, forward to the all-star break. I do think it's funny that um, you thought Christian Wood was uh, stylistically comparable to Dennis Rodman because he's like very wildly different, I feel like, in that sense. So that was funny that um, before you uh, really, you know, started to understand his game and saw him play with the Mavericks, that was your uh, preconceived notion of him. Uh, Or more, um, not necessarily that he was Dennis Rodman incarnate, more like in just the the, the, the things that I heard yeah. from him, for example, yeah. like that he was a problem in the locker room and things like that. Oh, okay. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. All those yeah. things, like all those things just kept like, I was like, man, this guy kind of, this, this guy's starting to kind of like give me echoes of, of, of Dennis Rodman, you know, and, yeah. and he's, he's got issues in the locker room, but you know, he's a tough dude. He's, he's willing to slam the ball down whenever, like it, those, those little things that he does. Yeah. Like, and that 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 looks a little bit Rodman-ish, but I'm not saying he's he's Rodman yeah. at with. That I do think all. a lot of the narratives that coming out of Houston. I mean, we have to take into consideration he was on a losing team with a lot of rookies, a lot of young guys, and th- there's obviously a frustration that that tends to boil over in a situation like that. So I I'd always kind of had the note, kind of carry the notion that 
a lot of the, you know, bad locker room talk and things of that nature regarding him was a little overblown. Um, but, you know, I'm he's been nothing but a good guy. He's carried a great demeanor here, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. And I, I have appreciated about that, about his time here. Um, but, yeah, no, to, and to, uh, to allude Hopefully to doesn't come to an point, end soon. Yeah. Um, to to <laughs> allude to sign that man. No, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but to, to allude to Jaron's point, uh, I think getting both of them potentially back at the same time is a really interesting dynamic because we did see at points, um, you know, before Christian Wood was even starting, how well some of those two-man lineups between him and Maxi looked. They had really good on-off numbers. It was the only sort of lineup that the Mavericks were able to output uh, where Christian Wood was sort of shielded by a weak side rim protector, and he could really divulge more into his speciality, which was guarding, you know, guards and forwards one-on-one and things of that nature. So I, I am really interested to see how that, that that dynamic return. I think that, you know, the Mavericks will get some newfound defensive prowess when those guys come back. I'm, it's definitely not a cure-all or, you know, elevating them, you know, past middle of the path. No, it doesn't move the, the needle at all, 100%. Yeah, but, but it definitely will help a little bit because um, they are, you know, so, you know, being like 26 or 25th in defensive rating or whatever they are right now, like it, it's pretty abysmal. So I, I at least think that that could help kind of, um, you know, backtrack them back to at least that, uh, that sort of equal median of, you know, middle in the pack, somewhere around there. Um, but nonetheless, I'm very excited to get those guys back and seeing them progress was uh, great to hear as we got that news today before the game. Um, but actually getting into the game here, um, let's go ahead and start with the first quarter, of course. Uh, the Mavericks came firing out the gate in the first quarter. It was another Luka um, taking the game into his own hands in the first quarter, essentially. I think he ended the first quarter with somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 points. He was scoring from he all scored three the first levels. 10 points. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was, he was scoring from all three levels um, really just furbishing offense to an absolute T, you know, taking advantage of mismatches. I thought in this game, particularly when he played, he did a really good job of using uh, his post game to his advantage. Something that, you know, I think kind of becomes sacrificial at points uh, when, you know, depending on how the defense is covering him, you know, covering him, uh, sometimes when he's getting doubled at the point of attack, he's not really able to, you know, sink back onto the low block or anything like that. But I thought he did a, he did a pretty good job establishing position and uh, getting the ball in, in spots. You know, they ran a lot of DHOs for him at the beginning of the game. So, I mean, it was just typical, you know, Luka Doncic, you know, I'm bigger, better, faster, stronger. And, you know, that I thought the spirit of the team definitely followed how he was playing on offense, uh, to, on the defensive end, like the, the guys were fighting, uh, basically all guys included. I thought that that first quarter was very emblematic of the 2021-2022 Dallas Mavericks, uh, a team that, you know, maybe not the most talented defensive in terms of their defensive personnel, but a team that was very crisp on their rotations, a team that was very crisp in terms of, you know, knowing when to apply help or, you know, knowing when to backtrack and let a guy go one-on-one uh, a team that's you know very diligent and closing out um, you know, a team that's constantly um, just has their rotations down to an absolute T something that we've seen from basically all of Jason one Jason kids uh, first year stops as a head coach he, he always sort of instills this very switch heavy active defense something that we saw from this Mavericks team last year that was really a hallmark 
of that team and something that helped elevate them to the Western Conference Finals. We haven't seen that too much times throughout this season from this Mavericks team. Uh, you know, a team that's really able be able to force the issue and create turnovers uh, rather than kind of just let things come to them. And I thought they did that to an absolute premium in that first half. You know, things I think obviously definitely fell off a cliff in that department come the second half when Luca went down for whatever reason. Uh, but I thought even in those lineups where Powell wasn't playing and they were, you know, forced to play small ball with Dorian at the five, I thought they were just really highly switchable. Uh, I thought that they were doing a great job uh, manipulating mismatches, things of that nature. You know, even when Valanciunas had just clear position on guys, I mean, you'd see two, three guys flying to the ball, trying to dismay him. And I mean, it worked throughout stretches in this game. They, they were just doing a really good job collapsing on any sort of Pelicans penetration and closing out on the perimeter. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was definitely like one of the better first halves that I had seen from the Mavericks. Uh, you know, obviously they go up 70 to 43 after the first half. They're making most of their shots. Dorian was playing excellent one-on-one defense on Brandon Ingram. Josh Green was playing excellent one-on-one defense on Kyra Lewis and CJ McCollum. And then we get to that second half. And, you know, as soon as that Luca heel contusion happens, things tend to just flip a switch for whatever reason. Uh, Jaron, I'll start with you. What do you, what exactly do you think um, happened from a defensive perspective that we started seeing the Mavericks uh, start to kind of fall in under themselves from that side of the ball? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a simple equation. They lost their motor. Uh, guys just weren't firing after it. Uh, they were, you know, jogging out to closeouts. Uh, you know, they were letting Valentinus get whatever he wanted. They're, like, I want to say the offensive rebounding numbers, like, spread all the way to like a 10 point or a 10 uh 10 point different margin uh where like they had 15 boards and we only had five something like that uh and I think that's just only indicative of you know guys losing their motor uh it kind of seems like whenever Luca sort of fell out you know confidence just dropped uh it definitely didn't drop in Josh Green and Dorian which is you know thank you but yeah no, they're uh, the saviors of this one what was it yeah, no, they're the saviors of this one. And the other thing, yeah, too, is yeah. what do you call it? They were out-rebounded by damn near 24. Yeah, no. Um, and I think in large part after Luca went out, that's whenever we saw that margin jump, as I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I think it's a simple equation. Guys lost their motor. Uh, it was sort of, you know, what's, what is going to happen to Luca more so than trying to win this game. Thankfully, they ended up pulling it out. Uh, but even still, you know, there was times in that game where it was just sluggish uh after Luca fell and fortunately like I said they pulled it out but yeah I, I think the biggest thing was you know guys lost their motor and thankfully like I said you know you had Dorian and Josh uh, and those were pretty much the only guys still continuing to go on the defensive side of things but other than that you know there's late rotations uh easy penetration Brandon Ingram I mean he was getting every tough shot after every tough shot and that was I mean just from a basketball fan it's incredible to see uh, cause he was getting anything to go at will, but I, nobody was being strong. Nobody was going up. And I think that's the biggest difference after what, like the six minute mark or whenever Luka fell, I think that was the biggest difference. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, even at the point of attack, we saw CJ McCollum, he had a, just, he went nine for 14 tonight, but I felt like every single one of his baskets was you know, easy to an extent, you know, if it wasn't something that was kind of coming in transition or, you know, him shoot, he only shot two threes, like a lot of the shots that he had tonight were in that second half just simple blow buys on the likes of Reggie um, Spencer Dinwiddie and Tim Hardaway Jr. He was kind of just getting to the basket at will on them and it, it we definitely saw that carryover effect that we talk about a lot with Spencer and Tim where 
when their offense is abysmal, then their defense, the amplification of how abysmal that is definitely um, is um, it, it the, that sort of process is expedited. So the, we definitely saw that to a premium. And I mean, just here's a I'll throw you guys a bone with this one. The Mavericks had six offensive rebounds tonight total. Valanchunas had nine by himself. Now, we are obviously know the Mavericks really don't have a big man, maybe outside of JaVale McGee when he's actually playing up to his standard, which is once in a blue moon. That can actually counteract Valanchunas. I mean, even if they have their full complements of bigs in this game, you know, Christian Wood and Maxi, they would still probably be hard-pressed to be able to give him trouble, but I, I mean, I, I really did think that Dwight Powell did a good job. Like he was competing his ass off against him in that first half, did a really good job mirroring him on the short roll. Um, was at least, you know, even though Valanciunas was winning some of those box outs and things of that nature, Dwight was making it hard for him defensively. We definitely saw a stark contrast in that second half. You know, when Dwight started getting into foul trouble, um, he, he was playing definitely a little more uh, passive on that side of things, and especially in those lineups where they could really just, uh, you know, hammer the offensive glass and, um, you know, Valanciunas was able to get putbacks when the Mavericks were playing smaller. That definitely um, was something that the Mavericks were conceding a lot in that second half. So, I mean, that hurt them. Uh, but a lot of it came down to, I thought, you know, Brandon Ingram, he may have had a rough first half, but this is a guy coming off an injury that is, you know, still trying to get back into the swing of things, as they had mentioned on the broadcast. But, you know, he was able to flip the script to an extent. He was making some really tough mid-range jump shots, you know, primarily with Dorian guarding him. I thought Dorian played pretty good defense on him. Um, but, you know, that guy's a top 25 NBA player. Sometimes things of that nature are going to happen. And he's going to make some tough mid-range jump shots. Those are the things that, you know, you are able to concede and you can kind of be okay with, right? Because that's not something that's particularly preventable. You know, you can maybe double him, throw some different things at him, but... I mean, generally he he's going to get his right. What I'm more, what I was more, I guess, concerned about was, you know, particularly in that second half, the Pelicans dribble penetration starting to lead to a lot of wide open looks. I mean, CJ McCollum seemed like every other possession was um, blowing by the likes of Dinwiddie or Hardaway and dumping it off to Larry Nance Jr. in the dunker spot for an easy layup or a slam, um, you know, or kicking it out to Trey Murphy or Najee Marshall if our guys were late on the rotation, they were draining threes on us. And those were the sort of things that I'm like, okay, like there has to be, you know, a little bit more concerted effort just because you get up 30 at one point doesn't mean the game's sealed, especially when your best player goes down for the rest of the game. So I, I think that that was definitely problematic to an extent. Well, I want to get y'all's opinions on Tim Hardaway Jr. And Spencer Dinwiddie. I'll start with you, Rodrigo. They obviously had abysmal shooting nights. Um, were there any sort of positives um, from both of them before we get into the negatives? Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's my question. Were there any positives that you saw from those two guys tonight in the offensive end? As far as just Timmy? Uh, both, both Spencer and Tim. Uh, well, well, yeah, I mean, there, there are, uh, I guess, a few positives. Um, I, I did want to really quickly, uh, though, you you did touch up on this uh, a little bit a little bit ago about tra- uh, like Larry, guys like Larry Nance, tra- um uh, Valanchunas and, and it, those guys, Trey Murphy, getting whatever they wanted. Uh, here's a little stat for you guys. Two of the Pelicans uh, players, uh, that's uh, J- uh, Valanchunas, had a double-double, so 16 points, 13 rebounds. And then Larry Nance had 10 points and 12 rebounds um, in 26 minutes of play. 
that's completely inexcusable. And, 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 and again, I understand that the Mavs are hard pressed at the center position, getting those big men. And, and, and I mean, Brandon Ingram was one rebound away from yeah. getting himself a double, double. I mean, well. I so think that's, particularly that's like the Larry Nance one, because that's a guy coming off the bench Yeah, and he's only playing 26 minutes. I mean, I know he is a good rebounder. You know, he is a good finisher around the rim. Um, you know, when he's able to stay home in that dunker spot, but I mean, for him to get 12 rebounds and, you know, not even really playing starter level minutes, you know, you know, Valanciunas is going to be able to get his boards against the Mavericks. They just simply don't have right. the manpower to count that, but you know, that and Ingram having that many boards, I mean, they, they, the Mavericks simply like didn't have the guys to be able to consolidate when Luca's rebounding presence went away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I did want to get, get to your question. Uh, the one thing that I guess I now, can kind of understand or see happening with Tim Hardaway Jr. I'll get to Spencer Dinwiddie in a second, but Tim Hardaway Jr. specifically, um, he scored nine points in 40 minutes, 40 whole minutes of play. He just managed to, you know, string up nine, nine points. Uh, I, I think for a lot of fans, uh, the patience on him is starting to wear very, very, very thin, but I kind of maybe have a different approach to what we could do him for, uh, what we could use him for. And it, it's a very similar way to the way that we use Josh Green as far as him being a spark plug, him being the drought buster, so per se. Because I, it, literally in the broadcast, you know, Luca went down. He went back to back and scored a couple, a couple three balls, if I'm not mistaken. And 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 right on the on the broadcast, they called him a, a drought buster. Or they, they 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 you know not called him a drought buster, but said that that was a drought buster. And so that that I think could be a, a, a role that suits him very well should the Mavericks make a trade to fill that small forward position that he kind of is playing. He's not really playing the two, if I'm not mistaken. I, don't, I think he's playing more of the three. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's positionless basketball nowadays, but I think in all technicality, yeah, he's he's basically playing the three. Right. And so that's that's what I mean. I think he can definitely serve that role very, very well. Maybe him and Josh Green come out. Uh, and, and, you know, if the Mavericks do go out and get somebody like OG and an OB or somebody like that, they can fill that that small forward position. Then yeah, I, I definitely see Tim Hardaway Jr. coming off the bench and and, and being a, a bit of a drop buster himself. As far as Spencer Dinwiddie is concerned, like I've, I've, I said this at the beginning of the podcast and I'll, I'll repeat it again. It's it, he the Mavericks needed every single one of those 21 points that he provided. And I understand that his shooting night may not have been the best. But at the end of the day, he got the points that were necessary for the Mavericks to win the game. And that in its own right should should be, I think, more commended than anything else. I think the other thing, too, is he can probably flourish again. He can probably go back to being that uh, that heliocentric player that the Mavericks were going through. Because when Luka went out, he was averaging darn near, what, 30 points? 35.5 yeah. points in, two in, in those two games yeah. he was averaging about 30 points 30, 30 plus points per game that's impressive that's that's impressive in its own right and again if he can flourish and i think again it doesn't need to always go through spencer um although it would be it would be good and i think again him going to the bench uh kind of like uh i think jaron i think you've alluded to it a couple of times where like you know you said um he he's better suited for the role of coming off the bench and being kind of that guy to uh, be the heliocentric guy uh, on that offensive side of the ball would be the best thing for Spencer um, uh, it, coming off the bench. And, and again, just, just us picking up a, a, the mass pull, pulling a, a trade and, and getting that, that 
primary ball handler to go alongside Luca would be would be good. Now, who that is, that remains to be seen because the trade deadline is what eight nine days away. Um, and I would love in my eyes a Zach Levine. Um, and I know we'll get to that tomorrow, but I would personally would love a Zach Levine to go alongside Luca. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can make arguments, but um, yeah, I guess I'll add to it. Uh, yeah, I, I like what you said about Spencer's game tonight. Uh, one where you look on the stat sheet, he goes four of 19 from the field. And, you know, the first thing you think is that's nasty. Uh, he probably had a bad game. But in reality, I think he honestly had a pretty decent game. Uh, wasn't the best shooting game, of course, and, you know, wasn't the best defensive game, but he found ways to get it done, uh, whether it was, you know, just going downhill, getting to the foul line, getting to the foul line. Uh, he made some clutch free throws, which we haven't seen the Mavs do a lot this season. Uh, so to see him get get to knock down uh, some free throws late in the matchup, and uh, I think he went 11, from, 11 for 12 at the line uh, is really, honestly, pretty intriguing. Uh, in terms of Tim Hardaway, I think it's, you know, I, I've been thinking this in my head. Uh, and then, of course, Tim had that like December stretch where he went crazy. Uh, but I think it's pretty safe to say Josh Green's a better player than Tim Hardaway. Um, I just think he offers more and he offers stability. And that's something that Tim just can't do. Uh, it kind of just seemed like late in the mat, late in the game, uh, Tim was just throwing up shots to throw up shots just to try and get out of the drought whenever the Mavericks, all they needed to do was try and, try and milk clock and pass the ball. Um, Tim just wasn't the right guy to go to. He was, like I said, just hacking up shot after shot. Uh, and this was definitely one of the more abysmal games. I like what you said. I, I don't remember who it was, uh, you or Will. Uh, but it was like, I think the, the fans are quickly becoming, um, how do you say it, irritated by every shot this guy puts up. And I've been on that train for a long time now. But uh, I think it's it's not nice to, nice to see people are finally on it. But um I do think, you know, his game is sort of falling out. Uh, I hope he finds a way to get some rhythm. But, yeah, the past few weeks have been pretty pretty bad, and this game just only sums up how bad his last few droughts or whatever you want to call it uh, has been. Yeah, no, 100%. I think with Tim, right, like we always talk about this dynamic of him having five good games and then five really bad games, but – I think the challenge for him this year has been able has really been to like find that equilibrium of, you know, we know he's going to have some bad shooting nights. He's a very high volume shooter. He's a very hot or cold guy, but I think what really tends to hurt the Mavericks after, you know, some further evaluation was like, okay, like he'll go 10, 15 games of playing really good basketball and then he'll have 10 to 15 games of really poor basketball and, well, and you want to know the sad thing about this whole thing? I, in my eyes, I kind of wanted in my heart of hearts for Tim Hardaway Jr. to be the Clay Thompson to Lucas uh, hypothetical. At times, he, at times he looked like a number two. I won't even lie. Right. It, it's, it very quickly fell off, but at times he did look like a number two. No, uh, I mean, we see this every season to an extent. He always has that, you know, sometimes the stretches are more elongated than others, um, like – you know, example, exhibit a, like the 2020, 2021 season, like, I mean, he was a little more consistent that season, but we see stretches where, you know, he's a very consistent, you know, solid role player. who's going to have an off game every now and then. Then we see these stretches where it's just, you know, time after time, he's abysmal, um, just like insane down to earth three for 18 shooting nights. Right. And there just has to be some sort of balancing act there that he's, he's not achieving at the moment. And, you know, you couple that with him, 
that being legitimately like most of what he offers is an ability to occasionally pull up for a mid-range jumper off of a closeout, uh, get some buckets in transition, but mainly catch and shoot threes and, you know, off the dribble threes, you know, he's not a good defender. There's a lot of different reasons as to why, you know, he's suffering throughout this stretch right now. And, you know, you can be like, oh, he'll be better if we relegate him to the bench coming off. He'll be better as a starter, but we've seen him play both roles in the Mavericks. And it's always like, you know, he'll, he'll perform good in one role. And then we just can't necessarily like distinguish exactly what his best role in this team is. So, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's compelling to go forward, but at the end of the day, he just reeks of inconsistency. And it's just kind of tough to really iron out what his role on role is on this team. When we see these bouts of him, you know, performing well off the bench, but then, you know, oh, then he starts playing bad off the bench and he needs to be a starter. And then he plays well as a starter. Then he starts to suck. Oh, what if we relegate him to the bench? He'll play well then. So it's like, has everything kind of surmounted to a point in terms of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s tenure with the Mavericks where the inconsistency and just, you know, not knowing exactly what his role is, is that just got to a point where it's too much. That in tandem with, some of the more pressing needs that the Mavericks have right now, which, you know, primarily are defense. I don't want to try to undermine Tim Hardaway Jr.'s role in this Mavericks team, because I think a lot of people have a tendency to do that when he plays bad. Um, you know, obviously some very poor decision-making from him tonight. He was not seeing the open driving lanes like he probably should, just from the perspective that he really thought that he could take Larry Nance Jr. and Herb Jones and Trey Murphy to the basket one-on-one a a plethora of times. Uh, I mean, that in tandem with some, you know, teams uh, sometimes where um, people would hedge on screens and trap him, but he still proceeded to shoot a three double teamed um, as the Mavericks were in the waning moments of the game. And like Jaron alluded to, he could have just passed it out. Like, you know, there was a lot of boneheaded decision-making, but, you know, like, there, there are some avenues for some teams that do need shooting um, that, you know, the Mavericks can potentially deal him as we approach the deadline. But yeah, it's just a matter more so if you're actually going to be able to, you know, find an applicable trade partner for him where, you know, you can get some things that are actually, you know, not necessarily valuable because his, his value is ever fluctuating. Um, but, you know, at least get a need out of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s departure. Maybe even if it's a distressed asset, you get a guy that can play defense. That's going to be something to definitely monitor, especially as we're, you know, divulging through some of our trade packages and going through our mock trades on tomorrow's podcast. But, you know, like I was alluding to, it's just the, you know, the inconsistency with his role and the questions of what is he on this team? Um, You know, couple that with his tendency to when it gets going bad it definitely seems to get going really bad you know he has a tendency to amplify a lot of his problems and when he gets going bad in a stretch he just really forces the issue I mean we saw that at a premium here tonight and you know I don't want to necessarily say it's too much because like I was saying he does have an important role in this team because you know his shooting is invaluable that's not the Mavericks don't have a guy that's necessarily willing to take a lot of the off the dribble pull up threes and catch and shoot threes that he takes. But is that being overrid by the just sheer number of 
bad games that he's having at this point where he's just, you know, uh, he's a saloon door on defense. And on top of that, he's, he's forcing shot after shot. Um, I mean, I, I, for me personally, I feel like that answer is yes, but it's going to be interesting to monitor as we go forward in terms of Spencer, like you guys said, I think that we kind of write this off as just a bad shooting night. I do, I do, you know, I wasn't necessarily in favor with some of the decision-making there tonight. I thought he definitely could have been a little bit more assertive and not settled for as many step back threes, particularly in that fourth quarter uh, with Luca out. I think he really started to settle and we weren't seeing the full um, array of what he could do. You know, he didn't do a good job drawing fouls, particularly in that first half, but he didn't really get to the free throw line much in that second half. But I, you know, I do applaud him for knocking down 11 of 12 free throws. Like I'm not writing him off as having just a, you know, absolute, monstrosity of a game but you know we saw tonight why the the shot diet and the way in which a guy scores um you know matters a lot and because I, I think a lot of people can just look at counting stats and say oh Spencer Dinwiddie almost average you know he's averaging 17 or whatever Jalen Brunson's only averaging 22 with the Knicks like it's really not that much of a fall off um but we do have to look at how much more wildly efficient Jalen Brunson was not just in his shot making, um, but also in his ability to play make and, you know, something that Spencer just, if we're just being quite honest, like he doesn't have the, that level of passing and playmaking that Brunson have, you know, he may be a better ball mover. He may be better at, you know, being able to, you know, swing the ball across the floor when, you know, he penetrates and things of that nature, but he just doesn't have that ability to, you know, set guys up in the pick and roll and, um, really create a lot of wide open looks for, you know, guys to the ability and to the effect that Brunson does. He's probably not at just in terms of skill, just not as good of a passer. And we see a guy in Jalen Brunson, I mean, arguably potentially a better defender too. I just definitely want to eliminate the sort of, if there's any sort of discourse that, you know, Spencer is really not that much of a fall off of Brun from Brunson, in my opinion, you know, I, I do value Spencer's role in this team. And, you know, I think he would be great coming off the bench. You know, he's a good tertiary playmaker and ball mover and a good shot creator, but I don't think that he's that esteemed secondary playmaker that the Mavericks are looking to, you know, have right next to Luca. Uh, I mean, I, I think Brunson to an effect certainly was, you can debate on the idealistic number two and all, all of that. Right. But at the end of the day, they had a guy that, you know, in all likelihood now, he's probably moved himself into the category of like a top 30 player, right? And, you know, I'm, I don't want to hammer this point home too hard because, you know, I, I try to stay away from the Brunson discussion, but it, I think it's definitely a disservice to him if we're labeling Spencer as, you know, just, just a, a slight tier under Brunson. And I, I definitely just want to eliminate that discourse because, I mean, we see tonight why a guy like Dinwiddie, who's more of like a 50% player, a guy who, you know, is able to fill that secondary playmaker role, maybe 50% of the time versus a 100% player like Jalen Brunson, who is wildly more consistent. We're going to get that from every night. That's not an indictment upon Spencer. He still has a valuable role to this team. I'm not discounting what he's done. I thought he's had a phenomenal season. He's up to shooting numbers to levels that are unprecedented for his career, something that, you know, as a catch and shoot uh you know, three-point shooter. I mean, he's never done this in his career before, and he's honestly having one of his better seasons, but even him at his apex, 
um, you know, idealistically, if the roster construction um, was there, if Brunson was still here, he would be relegated to the bench, kind of like Jaron was alluding to. So, I, I mean, I, I think that a matter of in terms of Spencer and Tim tonight, we're seeing guys that, you know, sometimes crack when they're playing above their means. I, I think that that's a brief sort of summation of it. You know, I, I know that they're they have the ability to go off for 40, but they're not 100% players. They, the consistency aspect from both of them just isn't there. That's not to say that they're bad or that we should just write them off and, you know, that they're, um, you know, unvaluable to this team. But I think that does start the narrative that their inclusion in trades is definitely, um, you know, prominent, like, because they're, they're at that 18, you know, to $20 million figure in their movable contracts. And with guys that, you know, don't necessarily, you know, maybe I don't know if you can have the affordability to ship off both of them, of course, but I mean, in terms of both of them being minuses on the defensive end and, you know, the inconsistency from both of them on offense, you know, sometimes being really good, sometimes being really well, I, I don't think it would, I think it could be in the best interest for the Mavericks to look to ship one of those guys as we approach the deadline, but, you know, we'll definitely get into that tomorrow. I definitely want to shift to some of the positives here. We've been very grim throughout this sort of segment here, of course, but I mean, I, I do think it's warranted. I, I got, uh, we'll start with you, Jaron, just definitely a uh, detail to me, how Josh Green was able to score tonight, how he was getting his points and the effort that he was putting in as a point of attack defender on the Pelicans ball handlers. Yeah, Josh, I mean, he did everything right on the offensive side of things. Um, I mean, from knowing when to drive, uh, like what did, you put out the tweet of his like post game comments where he was like, I, I love to have the ball in my hands now. I think that's really, honestly, really nice. Uh, because off the bench, you look on the like roster, nobody really, maybe Hardy, that's about it, uh, can really handle the ball and drive inside. Adding, you know, Josh Green's ability to penetrate. Uh, and this is like a case where we saw it on A plus tonight, uh, where, you know, puts the ball down, gets inside and hacks up some athletic shot, uh, just easy penetrating. And even, you know, he, I think he knocked down one of two from three. Um, like just the way that he was able to score from posting up to like shaking off the defender and getting a little jump hook to driving head down into the lane uh, over two defenders, like things like this. I mean, this guy has a lot of potential. Uh, he's only in his third year. It's promising, especially the fact that, you know, this is a nonchalant 15 point game from him. I think that we could definitely in an elevated role, see him do a lot more. Uh, but nonetheless, like, I think he's, you know, I think he's being held back in a sense of he could take more shots. Like this is definitely one of his higher lofted games in terms of shot take shots taken. Uh, but even still, I think there's more for him to do, uh, defensively. He was active, uh, two steals. I don't think he registered a block, but he was pretty much everywhere, especially in the first half on Valanciunas. Uh, you know, Valanciunas multiple times inside would miss, or uh, it'd be a tip out rebound. And it was most, most of the time was the culprit. Um, it was Dwight Powell, but also the addition of Josh Green would help a lot. Uh, and I, th I just think, you know, clogging the passing lanes, that's what he did really well. That's how he got his two steals and, you know, going off to the races and transition. He did that really well tonight, uh, but defensively he's done what he's done or he's done uh, what he's done all season long, which is just being 
honestly annoying uh, on the defensive side of things and being in the passing lanes, being in the right spot, uh, wherever his name is called. And he's done an amazing job of that all season, like I said. And tonight was just a, another point of A-plus offense and defense coming from Josh Green. Um, since his injury, I want to say the Clippers game was the only time where he was, you know, really ineffective. Uh, and that was like the whole roster was pretty much that game. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, this guy has been electric uh, with with Tim Hardaway's recent regression. I think that if you need to make a change, uh, I feel like it would have to be Josh Green inserting for Tim Hardaway anytime soon. But I, I really liked what I saw out of Josh. Um, I, I think he did everything right, like I said, offensively and defensively. Uh, I guess, Rigo, let's get your thoughts real quick. Yeah, I mean, JG has been great. I've always called him the spark plug. You know, he he definitely is is the spark plug to this team. Whenever this team needs needs a little kick in the butt, he he's he's the one to give it to him. Um, I mean, he gives you those high flying highlights that you absolutely adore and you want to see from somebody like Josh Green that can you know give you that kind of that kind of production. Um, I do want to. Uh, not to sidetrack or anything, but I did want to go ahead and mention something that the uh, great Kevin Gray Jr. from 105.3 The Fan uh, mentioned and just just quoted just a minute ago. Uh, he, he retweeted Brad Townsend's uh, uh, tweet of the Mavericks standings of their position in the standings. Right now they're sitting uh, in fourth, uh, about eight and a half games from the Western Conference leading Denver Nuggets. Uh, they're, they're 36 and 16. The Nuggets are. Um, but Kevin Gray just mentioned, he said, there is nothing outside of the Denver Nuggets that I take seriously in the Western Conference this season, including the Mavs being in fourth, just three games above 500. That to me right there, I think can surmise a lot of, of how I'm feeling right now, um, not just in terms of, of of one player specifically or this, that and the fifth specifically, just in terms of how I feel about this team as a collective unit. That's exactly how, how I feel. It's like there's nothing, there's nothing there. Like if I if if the playoffs were to start today, the Mavs could be one of those teams that take a team to a seven-game series, but there's nothing that moves the needle outside of Josh Green, outside of Luka Doncic, outside of Christian Wood, and maybe at times Spencer Dinwiddie. And he's in my book starting to inch closer and closer to that that untouchable, but he's not there yet. He he needs to be more consistent. And I think Josh Green can get there. I think if he can, like, if he can be a little bit more consistent, he gets to a complete untouchable. And what I mean is, consistently hit those fifteen points a night. I mean, if he if he gets that on a more consistent basis, I would love nothing more than for Josh Green to be here as a lifetime Maverick. I mean that that he he just in my eyes just fits the mold of what I would like a, a lifetime Maverick to be. Yeah, he's a guy that goes and gets things. He does the dirty work. Um, I wish, I wish late, late in the game. Uh, I know like we saw him just throughout the game, kind of get things going, but I wish late in the game, uh, whenever we could have settled the ball down a little bit, I wish we could have seen him, uh, run a few things with Spencer just off ball action. I, we didn't get to see any of that because it felt like that final, like three minutes was really rushed. Uh, but I really wish we could have saw some action with him in it, uh, involved in it at least. But other than that, I think, you know, his game was a plus. I like what you said, Rigo. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, if, in terms of long-term, if we're trying to just drool and dream of what we want to see, I think he's definitely one of those guys. He does the dirty work and this was another case of it. Yeah. I mean, he did have that one possession where uh, I don't remember specifically, it might've been like Kyra Lewis jr. But it was late in the fourth quarter and he took it to the basket on him and 
did like a little spin move and just shot right over the top of him and was able to convert. So, I mean, he had a few solo isolation possessions and, you know, he was largely more effective than Tim Hardaway Jr. and Spencer Dinwiddie in those instances, right? So, you know, something that those guys are definitely look to do to produce and that's not even necessarily Josh Green's role. So I thought that was very emblematic and telling of the night that kind of came about tonight. But yeah, I mean, if just in terms of like untouchable guys, I, I definitely want to throw that label out very gingerly because when you're team building around Luka Doncic, I don't necessarily think any one person besides Luka Doncic is untouchable because of the aspect of, you know, trying to attain a star player and things of that nature um, that, you know, you may have to give up some guys in a trade that you're necessarily, you know, you're not too keen about giving up. But if we're talking about like, just sort of, uh, I mean, you know, that ne- next tier really under untouchable, um, kind of where like Dorian's at, um, you know, or I guess where Josh Green is steadily approaching, where we hope Jaden Hardy can get that tier that's like, okay, like you would only be included in a trade if, you know, you're spearheading the package for a star player, things of that nature. You know, I, I definitely think that that's attainable um, for sure. But, you know, we'll just have to see how things play out, of course. Um, you know, I also want to talk about Dorian a little bit because I thought he had kind of an under-the-radar night that was swept under the rug. With, love. Um, you know, with the Josh Green performance, he had uh, eight rebounds. He had a few putbacks. He was one of the only guys that was, like, really getting after on the glass off some, um, you know, big clinkers from Tim and Spencer. He had a few nice putbacks. Um you know, I thought he did a really good job attacking off closeouts in this one. He had that one play in the second quarter where he stole off an inbounds pass and made a three. I mean, just really active. This was one of the best games I thought he had played. He played great, phenomenal defense on Brandon Ingram, even though Brandon Ingram was saying some tough shots in that second half. Really just a sort of um, coming into form game from him after this little rough injury stretch. I thought this was probably the best game he's played. Uh, Rodrigo, what did you have to think of Dorian's game tonight and uh, just uh, sort of the impact? on both sides of the ball that he had, you know, he's able to play 35 minutes tonight. Do you think that he's starting to, we're starting to, he's kind of starting to get into sync in terms of being the Dorian of old, uh, you know, after having come off this hip abductor strain, or or do you think it's still kind of going to be a rough ongoing process for him to, um, you know, really get back into the swing of things? I mean, one thing I hope for DFS is I hope that he's not dealt by the trade deadline. That would, that would 100% suck in my eyes um, because again, just he, he's, he's, as you're saying, he's turning into the Dorian Finney Smith of old. I mean, he's, he's finding shots. He, he, he nailed several really, really big, important clutch threes. You know, the stat line won't wow you at all. Um, as far as, you know, what he had uh, here, I'm pulling it up here. Um, he had 13 points and seven rebounds, but, Despite that, I mean, those seven rebounds were important because the Mavericks didn't have that many rebounds in total, but seven of those rebounds came from Dorian Finney-Smith, seven of the 36 rebounds, so 20, 29 of them, I can't even do math, but 29 of those rebounds or those other rebounds came from other guys, so seven seven rebounds you know, out of, out of other, out of the other 29, that's, that's a, that's a pretty nice, nice little number there. Plus again, he's, he's providing for you right now in the center role while Christian Wood is still out. Um, I mean, Dorian Finney Smith's role on this roster cannot be emphasized enough. Um, 
I know I've mentioned in, in podcasts and things before that, you know, um, DFS could possibly go to a, 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 you know, a bench role should the Mavericks deal out in the, in the trade deadline or, or at the trade deadline, should they deal out and, and, and get somebody that I think could suit the Mavericks a little bit better. But on that same note, I wouldn't like for that to happen. I would, again, personally like Dorian Finney-Smith to remain a Maverick and to remain in the starting lineup for as long as humanly possible. Now, again, if that happens next week, that's to be determined. That is to be heard. I know that uh, Dorian Finney is actually in on some of those uh, trade discussions. I think I just I heard something along those lines that that he is in, in on those on those discussions. But um uh, I mean, we, we'll see. We'll see. I, I definitely love Dorian Finney's role on this roster for sure. Yeah, I think one thing that he brought in this game, like just bringing it back to this game, I think one thing that he definitely brought in this game, and I like what you said, was rebounding. Uh, but just to microscope it a little more, was offensive rebounding. Uh, he was the only guy that offered more than one offensive rebound. Spencer was the only other guy to do that. Uh, I know Tim had six rebounds in this one, but they were just kind of gimme rebounds. Uh, and just sort of the difference in rebounding that Dorian brought was the the sort of, you know, grinding, getting offensive boards, putting them back up, that sort of scenario. Uh, and that's what he did really well in this one, was just being active, uh, able to move around the arc and getting those easy three-pointers that he usually uh, usually falls or usually gets to fall. Uh, and not just that, but also off the closeouts. Uh, and, you know, in offensive rebounding, you know, he also put up his own shots. And that's, you know, in large part why he had 13 points. Um, I felt defensively he was huge in this game. Uh, you know, he was like the only other guy outside of Josh Green to really put up uh, any effective numbers on the defensive side of things. I know Reggie got involved a little bit here and there, but the only consistency was Do- uh, was Dorian and then, of course, um, Josh and a little bit of Dwight here and there. But other than that, I-, I just think, you know, what Dorian did defensively was massive in this game. You know, he came up big on Brandon Ingram for multiple cases, uh, in this game, of course, you know, B.I., he's going to get what his, like what you said, Will. Uh, but other than that, I think he held him in check pretty mu- pretty well, uh, at least in that first half. Um, and, you know, in large part, in that first half, it was him and Josh doing the dirty work. And that's why I want to say they only had 22 first quarter points. Uh, and they had like 43 in the, fa- in the half. Uh, and I think that those were the two culprits was Dorian and Josh in that matchup. No, 100%. That's why. I wanted to highlight those two guys specifically as really being the only two non-Luca positives in this game. You know, we obviously alluded to how Luca played in that first segment before he went out with that heel contusion, 31 points in only, let me see. 23 minutes. Only 23 minutes. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's just wildly impressive. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of wanted to harp on, um, cause you know, I know Rodrigo started talking about the Dorian trade rumors a little bit uh, just to qu- sort of clear up a bit. Um, you know, I know there's been some sentiments um, that sort of came out of Tim McMahon. You know, he went on the low post. He's, you know, Mark Stein's kind of iterated this in his stub stack as well. And, I mean, we see it with Tim Cato here today. It seems like the general consensus around the whole Dorian, um, you know, trade availability thing is that the Mavericks are taking calls on him, but they're not necessarily looking to deal unless something really, you know, prominent and um, sort of just all-inclusive, something that they can't deny comes into fruition. Uh, Tim Cato tweeted actually about 30 minutes ago um, to, uh, responding to a question from a fan who asked if Dorian um, you know, was going to be on the team past this 
um, trade deadline, he said, I'd be shocked if he's not. This summer, that's tougher. But I think the convos he's been involved in, which he definitely has been, are more theoretical than anything that would happen this coming week. So it seems as if the sentiment regarding Dorian and his availability in a trade is very much so maybe he's going to be the integral part of a package down the line when the Mavericks are looking to get that number two or, you know, a really distinguished veteran role player next to Luca. But it doesn't seem as if they're ready to necessarily pull the trigger on that at this deadline, unless something kind of blindsides them and comes out of nowhere. I mean, which it very well could, I will preface, but that doesn't necessarily seem as if that's something that's in their immediate plans to go just, you know, outright ship Dorian, um, you know, for just some sort of like consolidation trade. Um, I, I don't, it, all the sort of sentiments that are kind of coming out of national media are that he's only going to be traded if, you know, he's spearheading a big package or the Mavericks are, you know, really ready to go into that direction, which I think is more of an off season thing. If, if they do do anything, which we'll get into tomorrow, it, it kind of looks as if it's going to be more something that's improving, improving around the edges, right? Some of those like more marginal improvement sort of trades, but that doesn't mean that we're only going to cover that, you know, we're going to cover all sort of contingencies that we think the Mavericks could even have the smallest possible chance of doing on tomorrow's podcast. So you guys stay tuned for that, of course. Um, but yeah, now, I mean, I definitely agree that Dorian and Josh were some of the biggest positives tonight. You know, we talked obviously about Tim and Spencer and, you know, their abysmal shooting games talked a little bit about Dwight Powell. Um, he only shot once in this game, but I thought he did a really good job rolling in this game. Valanchunas is a really tough matchup as a drop big uh, just because of the sheer size back there. I mean, obviously a lot more dynamic centers than Dwight, like a Christian Wood per se can really hamper Valanchunas defensively, stretch him out to the perimeter. And, you know, that's when we start to see him, his defensive liabilities really come into fruition. Uh, but, you know, Dwight Powell, he's more just a rim runner. And I mean, I thought he played his role as much as he could have to a T. Um, he, he provided great effort and hustle, but, you know, he ended up um, unfortunately getting into foul trouble because it's Valanciunas is a big dude to box out and he's, he's hard to keep off the boards and, you know, you can have as much applied effort in terms of denying him the ball and your rim protection on him. But we eventually started to see that fizzle out over the course of the game where Valanciunas time in time out was winning those matchups against Powell. And that's not even an indictment upon Dwight. That's a guy that's way bigger than him. It's hard to guard, but I mean, I thought Dwight, you know, he played a hell of a game as hard as he could have defensively. It was probably one of his best defensive games of the season. I mean, yes, he was getting blown by in the second half and Valanciunas was taking advantage of him in the post, but I mean, just effort wise, he won a few matchups in that first half, which was really impressive for, you know, a historically um, pretty lackadaisical defender, you know, maybe has a tendency to, um, you know, lose his man in the rotation. That's a new word right there, lackadaisical. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, has a, the inability to flip his hips when defending a guy one-on-one -on -one in space. But nonetheless, he's always been a guy that applies effort on that end, which I, I think we can all appreciate. But, you know, he had a solid game. Davis Bertans, like Rodrigo had alluded to early in the podcast, he came in, went three for three, knocked in some threes. He actually had a really solid game. But unfortunately, he went out with an injury that – oh, a left calf strain is what it yeah, was. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what it when it occurred. I, you know, it was sometime in that second quarter, I remember vaguely, I think he might've been coming off of a back screen trying to get the ball when it happened, but I don't, 
I'm not going to try and, uh, you know, speak something into existence that I didn't exactly witness. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but he came in to provide some energy, man. I mean, he, he's been having some rough bouts. We obviously know how just historically bad of a defender he is, but um, it was nice to see him try to somewhat swing his trade value in the positive direction by hitting those three threes. But obviously uh, there were no fail safes there as he ended up going out with a left calf strain, which was um, very unfortunate, but nonetheless, um, I was happy that he ended up providing those minutes. Hopefully he gets back relatively soon. I, in all honesty, I don't think it really shapes his trade value much or not. If he has a few good games, I mean, his contract is still a complete albatross, but I do, I do like what I saw from him tonight in his limited minutes, just coming in, being a spark plug in those threes. I wish he'd have a few more games of those than not, because he had a tendency to actually be able to produce in the playoffs last year. And it seems as of recently, that just hasn't been the case this season. He's just having more of these dud shooting games versus actually coming in, knocking in a few threes, a few every once in a while. Right. Um, Darren talked a little bit about how Reggie played some solid defense. I do think he was being a really good, um, he was doing a really good job rotating in that first half, had some good help side um, defense and was getting in those passing lanes. But we definitely started to see um, as the Mavericks, you know, took their foot off the gas, his on-ball defense tended to follow. And that's kind of been the uh, sort of dynamic that we've seen from him this season where he's a really good off-ball defender and he, you know, he's always in the right spots trying to make the right rotations, but time and time and again, he's just getting blown by. And I don't know if it's an age thing, uh, you know, just sort of losing some mobility and lateral quickness, but I think that that was very indicative. He didn't really shoot a lot in this game, which was odd. Um, you, you'd think in a game where Luca goes down, you know, they try to maybe get him some more looks, but, in, you know, contrasting uh, to that, of course, Luca's not there to be able to furbish as many corner threes, you know, via driving kicks and, you know, via getting the guy out to somebody else who then is able to segue to Reggie for a hockey assist. So things like that, I mean, that definitely hurt. We saw Jaden Hardy play a little bit tonight. He had two points, made a mid-range jump shot. Uh, then, you know, the rest of his shots where he went 0 for 3 on threes. But, you know, I thought he, I thought he came in and played a little active defense. I would have liked to see him get a little more run, especially in that third and fourth quarter with Luke out. But this last uh, little recent stretch, he's obviously looked a little rattled, as me and Jaron said in the last podcast post the, after the Pistons game where he's just kind of, um, you know, maybe hitting that rookie wall a little bit is kind of having some rough bouts when he's in there in terms of his decision-making and, you know, it's having some rough times in terms of shooting the ball. But, you know, I, I still love seeing him play. You know, we, we have to be able to see him work through some of those things. His role could obviously vastly change depending on what the Mavericks do at the trade deadline. But, you know, him getting these at least, I, I do think it's important for, if he's not in the G league to at least get 10 to 15 minutes a game, you know, I, I do recognize that he is not basically at a stage yet to be able to produce and be that secondary playmaker by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I do in, enjoy him coming in and providing offense and spurts and, you know, seeing his evolution as a defensive player on that side of things. Um, but besides that, I mean, you know, I, I think that that kind of covers everything from a Mavericks perspective or is there any guys on the Pelicans that you guys want to give a special shout out to that you thought played decent tonight? We'll start with you, Jaron. Um, Cause you know, we already kind of talked about their starters and stuff. Um, but, and we, and we talked about what the Mavericks did wrong, but I, I kind of, I guess what I'm alluding to is what, what do you think the Pelicans did tonight that kind of forced the Mavericks hand 
uh, more so than more so than just things that the Mavericks messed up on. I, I think in terms of what they did right on offense, uh, it kind of just led to the Mavericks, you know, and we, you know, the personnel uh, we've harped on this many, many times. Uh, but I think the personnel, of the Mavericks just sort like sort of kind of caught up uh, late in that game. And it, we just saw Pelicans or the Pelicans uh, getting drive after drive. Uh, and that's, you know, they slowly chipped at the lead. Uh, and at one point they cut it to like four points or something like that. Uh, but yeah, that, that, I think that's what it was, is, you know, just slowly chipping in the lead. It was drive after drive, uh, getting inside penetration with Valanciunas or CJ McCollum, uh, and then kicking out to an open three point shot. Like that's sort of what we saw, uh, kind of dilute into, uh, of course the downfall, uh, I'm doing air quotes, uh, of the Mavericks where eventually the Mavericks would pull it out. But I, I just think that's probably the biggest case was just drive after drive, uh, slowly chipping at the lead. I, I didn't think there was anything particular that they did amazing. But yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, just across the board, obviously the penetration from McCollum and Brandon Ingram definitely started to uh, hamper, you know, the Mavericks ability to um, stop that dribble penetration in the second half, of course. But I mean, I thought, you know, just their sort of full array of role players, even though they are on a losing, you know, a gigantic losing streak and, you know, they have some issues in terms of their rotation and Zion being out and everything, um, you know, the full complement of their role players and just in terms of how not one dimensional they are. Um, every time that I see the Pelicans play, I, I always am very, um, I'm not took aback, but I'm, I'm very um, admire, admiring per se of the things that some of these guys are able to do. Like you got a very versatile guy in Trey Murphy and Najee Marshall that can, you know, guard both ways as, you know, as well as being able to, you know, do some tertiary ball handling and, you know, uber athletic, um, but can create their shots and spurts. I mean, I, I just think that they got a really good cast of three and D players to be able to throw around. I mean, obviously with Herb Jones, I mean, once that guy develops any sort of shot, um, he's going to be very scary. He's obviously, a, in my opinion, already a top 10 defender in the league. So the difference, and I know it's been mentioned on a few podcasts uh, between them and the Mavericks, and you can say the th same thing about the Grizzlies, is that because, you know, to an extent, Luka was too good, too fast, we see this sort of dynamic where the Mavericks weren't able to acquire the necessary draft capital, that and the Porzingis trade, um, to, you know, build a roster like the Pelicans or the Grizzlies have, and that's why we see uh, them have them, both of these teams being in the positions that they are, uh, the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, where they can maybe swing a trade for an OG and an OB, like they're essentially in a bidding war for him right now. Uh, because both of them have the draft assets. They have the guys to be able to go get him. And on top of that, if they were to attain somebody like that, they're not going to lose half their rotation. The Mavericks sell it for OG and Anobi, then they're a shell of their former self. So that's obviously kind of disheartening and a bit of a grim look at all this sort of stuff. But uh, I mean, it's it's definitely a compliment to the Pelicans roster building and um, what they've been able to do just in um, – in terms of being able, you know, David Griffin to being able to uh, foster and harness a, a sort of a structure of stability around the guys spearheading everything. Now, Zion himself is not st stable because of the injury history, but if he ever gets things figured out, I mean, they're going to be a scary squad. So always, always good to see the Mavericks go up against them. Um, obviously, it was still a rough outing um, between Dinwiddie and Hardaway, but as I continue to iterate every podcast, 
a win is a win, man. And we take what we can get because, you know, as you guys said earlier in the podcast, um, the West is densely packed between four through 13 right now. I don't even know how many games are separating it specifically, but I mean, the, the Western conference, um, I mean, you're, you're splitting peas in terms of how these teams records and, you know, like you had brought that Kevin Gray Jr. team up, right. Or tweet up earlier. Uh, no, no team really uh, basically uh, fourth and downwards is better than the rest. There's very like minute differences between them. Nobody knows how this is going to shake out at the end of the year because of how tightly packed together the Mavericks being three games above 500 right now. And then being on a little two game win streak really doesn't mean anything. They could, they could be, I mean, 10th place within a couple games. So they could be 10th place. They could have been 10th place after tonight. If I'm being hundred percent honest, like they really, really could have been 10th place after tonight. Yeah. If, um, if and it's lucky that yeah. they didn't. Um, yeah, um, I, I, I didn't mean to, to cut off your idea. No, you're fine. There, Keep but, going. Um, but even, even the, the, the seedings between one and four are even, you, you could say, I know that the separation between them right now looks like it's a, it's, it's actually eight game. It's a eight game advantage, but let's say a Jamal Murray or, or, or a Jokic or somebody like that goes down. Well, shoot, if the Mavs go on a little win streak of their own, yeah, they're right back in it and they could be easily a one or two seed. And, and, you know, you were talking a little bit about, about the, the draft capital, for example, um, and the Mavericks not having that. Um, I mean, at the time, I think the Mavericks, what they were thinking or what I would think they were thinking is, okay, let's pair Luca up as early as we possibly can with that second superstar or that second yes. star in KP. That doesn't end up working out. Okay, we find a trade for him. We find a bunch of players that can connect with him in a specific way and play off of him as best as they possibly can. And let's see how well that works. It worked the last year to an extent because it got them to the Western Conference Finals. But at the end of the day, you lost more than you 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 lost more than you wanted to, and you bit off more than you could chew in those trades. Um, and when you really possibly could have made those trades, in my eyes, you could have made those trades for a lot less than what you actually made them for. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's a great point and a, a definitely a, a great summation of the dynamic between how the Porzingis trade ended up shaking out. But I, I do have to sympathize with the Mavericks to an extent because they were hard struck in a very sort of kind of the universe hates us sort of way. Um, because I mean, if we're going to be blatant about it, like Luca was too good, too fast, even with like John Morant and Zion, uh, Zion, you know, he had a little bit of the injuries that first and second year. Uh, both of those guys had slower ascensions to their stardom and that gave their team the ability uh, that in tandem with them, not trading off their picks to be able to furbish a little bit of a roster. Um, you know, that, you know, you look at the Maverick situation, it's just a lot of unfortunate events playing out Jalen Brunson leaving. Uh, the only guy that really did that was a young, another young player next to Luca that came in with him. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Not being exactly what we had hoped he was going to be. Uh, obviously, they swung big in Luca's rookie year with Chris Stapps, and it ended up not panning out. Um, and they're paying for it, uh, you know, with that 2021 pick uh, that ended up being Cam Reddish, and obviously this uh, 2023 pick. So long as the Mavericks don't end up being in the lottery, is what also being conceded to the Knicks, right? So that, that sort of dynamic is interesting where you can kind of get into, oh, like, did they mess up here? They mess up there. There have been some unfortunate events that have struck them in terms of 
that kind of limiting your ability to construct this roster, you know, that we want around Luca. But at the same time, they've they've definitely had some things that they haven't played their cards right with, like with the Brunt, you know, exhibit A, like with the Brunson situation. So, you know, that's a lot of like different compelling stuff that we can get into tomorrow. Um, I'm excited to in our trade deadline primer podcast, but um, unless you guys got anything else, I mean, I, I think we can kind of wrap it up for tonight. Um, brief summation. I mean, a win is a win. Like I keep saying, as we get through all these games, whether it's the Pistons game, whether it's tonight, these games suck, some of them, but every win is needed in a situation where the Mavericks are kind of forced to be competitive. Would it be more idealistic for them to tank, for them to tank right now and get that lottery pick from the Knicks this year? Would that be more, you know, value smart? Sure. But number 77 is not going to buy that. And he's essential to the well-being of your franchise for the coming years. So right. if you have to sort of kind of fizzle out into mediocrity for a little bit until you can construct a ideal roster around him, you have to do that. And if you don't, he leaves. And it's, it kind of comes down to that at the end of the day. And we can iron out as many things as we want, but that's what it comes down to, right? Uh, but unless you guys got anything, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this up. You guys got anything else? Um, this depressing, but no, uh, I don't got anything. No, so. a depressing last segment. I went yeah, a little, no, bit, I was like, went a little bit more big morbid, picture. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I went a little more big picture than I typically tend to do so. But, uh, you know, the trade deadline primers on on the horizon for tomorrow. And I'm, I'm geared up. I'm ready to fire out all my takes at Mark Cuban. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm on the edge here, guys. Uh, but anyways, we appreciate you guys if you've listened this far. If you're listening on YouTube. Yeah, I did have. Or, oh. oh, shoot, go ahead. Oh, I did have, real quick, I did have. Whoa. I was going to say, I, I don't know what's going on with the connection over here. Um, uh, but then again, the winter storm isn't doing me any favors. Um, uh, well, first off, I guess, yeah, if you are right now with the winter storm, uh, uh, please be careful. But I did have two things on my mind fairly quickly here. Uh, so for the first thing, uh, uh, the Twitter doctors got onto it this fairly, fairly quickly. Luka Doncic, um, according to Jeff Stotts, who's like a, a injury insider, kind of not injury insider, but kind of like an injury guy. Um, did just post a tweet. Uh, Luka Doncic, heel contusions can be more complex than these sound. A thick layer of skin as well as a padded, uh, a pad, excuse me, a fat, fatty uh, tissue surrounds the heel bone. Uh, these like the calcaneus, which is like the specific area that he could have possibly hurt. Um, all of these structures can be contused. Uh, the average time lost for in-season heel contusions in the NBA is 1.8 games, median one game. Players to suffer the injury include Steve Nash, Jimmy Butler, Drew Holiday, and Kyle Kuzma. And then a reply to that tweet from uh, Brian Stutter, who's an actual doctor, um, said uh, the way he plant he landed plantar flexed so much makes me think think that it's more posterior impignum uh, impingment. Jesus Christ, can't get that word off, uh, especially if he has an OS. Uh, trigon trigonum so uh, there's again it's a very very medical hosh posh but again if uh, he'll probably get an mri long and sweet long short and sweet of it is tomorrow he'll get an mri and we'll find out more about that tomorrow hopefully again it's nothing serious and it is just that one game uh scenario there that jeff stotts is mentioning if, if it is a one game thing jesus that's the biggest blessing to come out of this whole uh, disaster. Um, that's the first thing I wanted to get off my chest. Second thing I wanted to get off my chest is, um, and I'm going to go into college ball a little bit here. Um, 
big ups to my alma mater, Sam Houston State, yesterday. They beat uh, a really, really uh, not tough opponent, opponent, but a tough opponent in UTRGV. But a special, special shout out goes to Mr. Carlos Zimmerman, who is the voice of the Sam Houston Bearcats, who had an excellent, excellent, excellent call on 101.7 K Sam. And I gave him all the love and and support um, from on on the Twitterverse, on the uh, on the Instagrams. Um, I I gave him all the love because, man, that was a call and a a great shot by by a really good player. It was a fadeaway dark kind of shot from a player. uh, Australian as well. Uh, funny enough, we're talking about Josh Green, but Cameron Hefner um, or Hoofner um, hit a, a little uh, fade away, one-legged fade away. And it, the call, if you get a chance to listen to it, boys, please do. Like it is a really, really excellent, excellent call. Yeah, no, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely, uh, when I get a chance, swing around to that. That That's cool. Shout out to Carlos, man. I don't obviously know him personally, but yeah. uh, congratulations. I'm, I'm glad he's making moves over there at 107.7. Um but yeah, uh, I failed 101. to 101.7. 101.7, my bad, my mistake. Um, you're good, you're good. Nonetheless, though, um, I failed to mention at the, the injury at the end of the pod, of course. I kind of got caught up amidst the, the sort of closing segment and everything. But um, yeah, to speak on the whole like uh, Twitter doctrine thing, you know, that is a really good point. I admittedly am not too familiarized upon heel contusions. My, my sort of... Um, I guess implicit, um, like my the way my head wires when I hear something regarding contusion, it's that is typically involves something you know with bruising and tissue, but it's not any sort of fragmentation of the bones or you know any structural damage to the muscles. So I know that that's always good. So I, I knew at face value that it was a minor deal, and I'm glad it wasn't the ankle, of course. But um, you know, obviously, as you had talked about, Rodrigo, there is a certain severity aspect to the different levels of uh, heel contusions and things of that nature. So it'll be intriguing to see if it's more along the lines of that day-to-day uh, thing or if it's going to, you know, span out a week or two, which we would hopefully not uh, favor. Or, you know, if the Mavericks want to go that load-managing direction, he's had these two little injuries before the All-Star break. What if they want to, like, rest him up? I mean, there's a variety of different ways that they could – play this you know especially since he just had just is coming off that ankle injury so it'll definitely be interesting to monitor as we pull forward because they need Luca more than ever in this stretch I mean not just in this stretch but all the time just as the way this roster is currently constructed um but we'll, we'll definitely have to see exactly what happens in that department um but yeah we'll see if he's gonna miss our game um Friday night or no, rather Saturday, Saturday, night, night. Saturday night. My bad, Jerry. Tell, tell <laughs> in San time Francisco, yeah, it's seven thirty. Seven thirty versus the Warriors on ABC. On ABC, <laughs> uh, we will see what his status is for that one. But if he misses one in a couple games, we could see the Mavericks start to slide and those standings start to fluctuate, like we had mentioned. But interesting to you know cover monitoring you know forward, and we'll have it all here for you guys over at Mainstream Mavs. Make sure to follow or subscribe to us and like and comment below. Comment down below. What is your favorite Steph Curry shoe since we're playing the Warriors on Saturday? For those sneakerheads out there, what is your favorite Steph Curry shoe? Comment that if you're on YouTube. Make sure to follow us and give us a five-star rating if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever listening platform that you are on. We appreciate you guys for listening this far on the podcast. It means a lot. You guys continue supportive of us. It really does mean the world. We don't say it enough. Um, But, yeah. 
Um, with that being said, if you guys don't got anything else, we're going to go ahead and end the podcast and we will catch you back tomorrow night for our trade deadline primer. See ya.